Greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the newest edition of the Surf and Sales podcast. And we're saying it's new because it's officially going to be Q2 when this episode releases. And we are officially, officially Surf and Sales. Scott, can you believe it? They reached out to us because they've heard of us, which is shocking. The HubSpot podcast network. Uh, we are super appreciative of, of HubSpot. Um, so a couple things will be different as we go forward. Got to do some plugs along the way. Um, if you know us, Scott is um, a master of cutting and recording and dropping plugs in all kinds of things, technology, right, Scott? Yes, I'm a video and audio editor extreme. Yes, what he is not is a calendar master because I spent about four hours in the last week fixing his calendar. So um, it's still not right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't blame IT, buddy. I did all I can do. So. <laughs> Uh, with that being said, so you'll hear us do some, some advertisings and drops, which we're happy to do. And since we don't like to cut and splice, we're going to do them naturally. Uh, the first one I want to talk about is, um, and then we'll introduce our guest, by the way, because we do have one, is uh, Outbound Squad. Check out the podcast Outbound Squad by our friend Jason Bay. Um, he's also on the HubSpot Podcast Network. And I've known Jason for a couple of years now. He's always dropping good knowledge. Um, always sharing great insights. Um, Scott, how often do you talk to him? It's been a while. I, I talked to him quite a bit when he was living in Austin, but uh, but he moved, so I haven't talked to him too much lately. But he talks to you know some great people like uh, Charlotte Johnson, Udi from uh, Gong, yep. Ben Allen over at Lavender. So yeah, definitely give a, give that show a listen. Yeah, and I think I think one of the things that I wanted to bring up for for Jason too is that. He talks about very specific topics. He's tactical like me, like call reluctance and dealing with procrastination. And he's got a ton of cold calling hacks and stuff like that. So, um, you know, be sure you check it out. It is the Outbound Squad hosted by Jason Bay uh, over on the HubSpot Podcast Network. And without any further ado, let us introduce our good friend and guest. And I don't know, I almost want to call him a co-host because I know he's going to drop so much knowledge. Michael Tuso co-founder and CEO of Calypso, Calypso, excuse me, Calypso. Uh, Michael, good to see you, man. It's been a minute. Yeah, good to see both of you. It has, uh, it's been two very long minutes, as I was just saying a, a few minutes ago, but uh, super excited to be back. Yeah. So obviously, first question, Calypso, what is it? What are y'all doing? It's, the yeah. cool, it's one of the coolest startup names that I've heard in a while. I think so too. I was like, I'm surprised it was even available. Yeah. Right. It sounds like a James Bond character. Does. Yeah. I got the name from a book I was listening to. Uh, and uh, while I was at my last company, it was a, it was an ebook I was listening to. And I just, I liked the way it sounded. So I, and I felt like a lot of, uh, you know, sometimes company names can be a little boring. So I wanted to pick something that, uh, that I liked and sounded good and was um, also based on a female character um so uh so yeah I, that's why we went with with calypso but we're a, a software for account management and expansion sales okay tell us a little oh. bit more a little bit more about that let's first focus on like what is wait. expansion sales wait i want to back up for a second <laughs> you can't back up over my backup <laughs> yes. uh. Look, I, wanna, I, I just found it what were the rejected names when you were thinking of names, oh God, what were I don't even remember honestly. There, it was there were a lot of names. There were, 
quite a few um I remember, but I got to this one really quickly. Yeah. It was more so the spelling of it because of the mm-hmm. uh, domains that were available. Like Not there it. were like no dot coms <laughs> or uh, anything. So I, I had to add an L and sort of like misspell it and things like that. But um, yeah, there were like no you know, uh, all the bots buying up all the domains. I'm not sure, but um, but it was actually really hard to find a domain. That that was the longest part of the process. How long, we never talked about this. How long did it take you to come up with the name? Like how many um, do you think y'all took? So I was listening to the book and I think it was August. And then by September, I think I had a name. Got it. Cool. All right. Now we can fast forward. Okay, Scott, Thank you. ask your Thank question. Thank you, Richard. Yeah. I, I'm, I want Michael's definition of expansion sales and what that and what that means. Yeah, absolutely. So the typical uh, two buckets are upselling and cross-selling. Um, so it's really growing your existing customer base uh, is, is what we uh, focus on. So for SaaS companies, it's usually growing the um, average contract value of um, you know the, your your current customer base. Um, so we help identify where are the, those expansion uh, sort of potential is and then help you execute upon that. Um, there's also a bucket that um, where we help with like renewal management um, as well, because usually account managers and expansion sales reps are involved, have a retention component to their job as, as well. Um, but that initial piece that we're really focused on is identification and execution on, a, on the expansion. Um, the expansion sale itself, which usually falls into the two buckets of, of selling and cross-selling. It feels like this is more important now than, I don't know, three years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. Why do you think that's the case? Yeah, so it is in, incredibly important. I think there's a lot of different reasons. I think um, the economy certainly has put a spotlight on this, but I saw the trend um, happening even before that. Um, so I think specialization is really important. So when an account executive uh, closes a deal and say uh, they're say they are compensated on growing an account, it it rarely happens well. Like I, I rarely talk to a company where an account executive does a good job at uh, grow, growing their existing customer base. And then we also see that same dynamic with like customer success owning um, owning that as well. So um, companies we're seeing are dedicating like full-time people to this specific job and it's been going a lot better as a result. Um, from the hundreds and hundreds of, of people that I, I've been talking to since we we started the company. But I think to answer your question, I think a big part of it is is the economy, but I think also it it just like makes sense because it's um, easier um, to sell to your existing customer base. It's more sustainable. It helps with things like profitability and net revenue retention. It shows a healthier business model, it creates a stickier product. Um, you know, it helps you, it helps you retain customers. So there's all these sorts of benefits that I think like companies um, are, are realizing um, are, are so important. And when you're doing, um, w- when it's more challenging at the top of the funnel and, oh, by the way, it's easier to sell to your current customers. It's been a, a natural 
um, progression where people are, are, are paying sort of there's a renewed attention to expansion sales. So let's say one more question for me and then I'll, and then I'll let Richard ask, ask a couple questions. Wait, I want to go back and ask, back up. I'm just kidding. I'm sure, I'm sure you do run me over again. Uh, so shockingly, let's say that I have purchased from Richard. I have succumbed to his sales skills <laughs> a year ago and I bought something. I'm a client of Richard's. Okay. Give us an example, if you can, Michael, of how an expansion sales process might be happening right now done wrong. Mm. Yeah, uh, done wrong. That's a great... Uh, because it would be Richard doing it wrong. That's exactly so I, I want to yes. know how, what the how done wrong version is. I want to, I want to know the done wrong version. So I think people out there listening might be like, oh shit, if you describe something that they're doing. And then obviously we could get into like how you help with that and, and what needs to be tweaked, but what's an example of it done wrong? The biggest thing I'm seeing right now is waiting for the customer to like raise their hand. Um, so like you've sold them something and then like, they don't even know that you can do you know, that they can do more with you, that you offer other products, what those other products do, that they even realize the initial, the full value of that initial product that, that you even sold them. Um, so a lot of times they're, they're, you know, not, they're waiting on the customer to raise their hand organic expansion and calling it expansion sales. That's probably one of the biggest problems that, that I've seen currently where, um, we're not helping the customer first achieve the goals that they set out to achieve um, with working with us to begin with, getting them super happy and seeing tons of value with that, and then seeing, can we sell them more licenses or, you know, um, depending on your your licensing model or your pricing model, you know, some people have usage base, um, you know, upselling. So is the idea of selling, you know, more of something existing or cross-selling and selling them something new or different. And so A, getting them to realize that initial value, that's where customer success usually comes in and can be really, really helpful. Um, but a lot of uh, a lot of sales teams aren't even like taking, you know, doing that first step of identifying like where is the potential. Um, one of the things that we help with with that is, um, you know, potential analysis or white space analysis to see like um, what is the total maximum value that we could have in a dollar value from an account. If you ask most sales leaders today, like how much money are you leaving on the table with your current book of business? Like most people won't know the answer to that question. And I think that's pretty alarming. Um, and so if we're waiting on people to raise their hands, we're not conducting analysis to say, um, where is the total potential that we can expand into? Um, it then becomes very difficult to execute upon that if you aren't even doing the exercise to say, like, um, where where's the potential to begin with? Got it. Okay, I'm gonna double down on some of this. Oh God, I just used the buzzword, Scott. Where's the shocker? I need one of those callers <laughs> that Scott can shock me. So you're on mute, buddy. You're on mute, Scott. There you go. I'm not on mute. I'm not on mute. Everybody can hear me. Just your hearing aid is low. Turn it up. Uh, so what are those signals? Because I think I think you nailed it. You said the CRO doesn't know. The VP of sales doesn't know. The reps don't know. There's some muddiness I want to dig into there around the reps. But what are the signals that we should be paying attention to? Yeah. 
So there's several. Um, the first one, if it's um, if it's a software company, you can see like trending usage um, is is one. It's not the only indicator, but it is one indicator that um, often goes um, missed. So from the moment of implementation, how 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 was a, a company? How did they implement your product? Are they trending toward you know the average of your customer base? Are they above that? Are they below that? Um, are they uh, trending towards an overage? Can you reach out to them to um, if they are trending towards an overage to um, sell them additional you know seats or uh, additional portions of your product? So that's like from the minute they buy your your product, we should be tr uh, you know tracking that product um, product usage. Some people don't have product usage. Some people are consultants, um, some people um, ha have all sorts of different products, but seeing that initial value being realized of why they became a customer to begin with so, and like really tracking that. So is the first signal, hey, we need to look at first 30 days of usage, mm -hmm. right? And then theoretically, the next signal is, okay, what's happening in 60 days, 90 days, whatever, whatever that cycle might be for that order. Right. Yep. And so if, I just want to make sure I'm understanding. So if I see usage trending down, okay, one, it may not be the indicator of, uh, of, of an expansion. It may be an indicator of retention mm -hmm. to make sure you don't lose it in the next nine months. Right. Um, yep. And or product feedback, or maybe there's some use case that's coming up that they didn't know they could solve because they can't find it in yours. So there's, there's a lot of reasons. So I see that. Here's the next question, which is, this sounds really good. However, in the world of sales, then customer success, and then account manager, I can see you grinning because you already know what the question is. How do you handle that information? Does everybody get some alert from a system that says, hey, here's the trend, which then says to the org, all right, whoever's responsible for this piece needs to get on top of it. Like who gets that alert? And then yeah. that's the first thing. And then the second thing is, I'm curious to your best practices of, of who really handles the expansion sale, right? Customer success account manager. Anyway, because, but who, how does, what's the best practice around letting everybody know this is happening? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. Um, what I'm seeing today, uh, ironically, is that companies just don't have, like the, the frontline people at companies don't have access to that data. Um, which is like crazy. So, you know, it, there was one company, someone had stopped using the product to begin with and they went to do a renewal. And, and at the renewal, you know, it's a common time to try to engage on the expansion sale. And the customer's like, whoa, I'm actually going to churn. And uh, it, it sounds like a crazy example, but I literally see this all the time. So, you know, you, you, you can't like, you can't expand someone if the person, you know, the individual contributor, AE, CSM, AM, doesn't even have access to the basic data to make, you know, to make their customers successful. And so, you know, I'm seeing things like people pushing product usage data to Salesforce. Um, a lot of times, like, uh, I've seen in, you know, certain tools, uh, the data is like inaccurate or it takes like a lot of really heavy lifting 
Um, and it, it's just, it's very problematic, but it also can get complicated very quickly. And all of these things have super dire consequences as it pertains to expansion sales. And the reason why expansion sales is such a good indicator for net revenue retention, which looks at expansion sales and gross retention, um, is because if that is not going well, like it's a good indicator of like double clicking. There you go. I just used a buzzword for you, Richard. Um, double, double click. Down, double click. Double, yeah, exactly. Double clicking on 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 like why we need to ask ourselves why aren't our customers growing with us? Um, so I, you know, the 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 best defense is a good offense, and that's what expansion sales is. And so, like, if all these other things aren't going well, like expansion sales are a very good indicator um, for that. And it also is like a more sustainable like way to grow um, businesses. You know, if you land Google for two thousand dollars, that's great that you have the logo, but what are you doing to expand? Um, your footprint within that account. And a lot of companies are not account planning. They're not doing white space planning. They're not understanding like how they're even using the product. The sales reps don't have access to that information. Um, and as a result, the consequence is then the leaders have very little visibility into what's going on themselves. And then, oh, by the way, like our expansion sales numbers aren't very good. Um, so I think we're entering in this uh, era of gaining a lot more visibility in this space. I heard a VC at a conference say um, uh, at the end of last year that um, this next decade is going to be about, or like the previous decade was like selling two companies, like at the top of the funnel. And the next decade is going to be about like selling through. And so this, all this space here with gaining visibility and, um, it is going to be going to be critical to go back to your question because I skipped around a little bit was like who who gets that alert? Um, I think like ultimately, their companies are different, and I think we do need to honor that. With that said, I have seen companies fare a lot better um, when they have account management and customer success. I've seen NRR go up. Um, we talk about multi-threading on their side, but I also think it's important for companies to multi-thread. I personally don't like it when a CSM is like helping me and then like, oh, by the way, like I'm going to sell you. Like, I don't know. I just feel like that's a bit icky. Um, whereas like when you know that someone is owning the delivery side of the business, customer success manager, and then someone is owning the business side of the relationship as well, the account manager, I just have seen that um, do much, much better um, over over my career and also what we're, we're seeing in the people that we're talking to. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I think that's always the million dollar question, who handles it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I got one more question, and you actually had us had us with hit us with a good segue for our our admiral. But my next question is, um, what do you do when you the the founder thinks customer success or account manager should handle the upsells and cross sells, but those particular reps don't necessarily like that part of the game, yeah. right? Like some sometimes. Mm -hmm. So look, I actually believe customer success is often better at selling than salespeople because they always ask this great question, which is, okay, what are you really trying to accomplish here before I answer, right? And I wish yeah. sales reps would ask that more. But it feel, you know, it seems like the account managers and, and customer success sometimes think sales is a dirty word, right? Do you, 
do you then advise people look take it to the person give it to the person who wants to do it mm -hmm. or do you proselytize it and say nope everybody in customer success has to do it mm -hmm. um, i'm curious to your your thoughts on that yeah i think they're really good at teeing it up i think that um if they're driving that adoption um, and getting it to their super sticky with the product, they're, you know, they're driving that delivery side of the business. They, they are kind of like, um, can almost be like those hidden salespeople. Um, <clears throat> but I think that in that sense, they're really good at maybe sourcing something uh, for, for someone else or being like more technical or being that like trusted advisor. I think they are in that sense, like really good at teeing it up for the customer to get to this point where they are ready. And I think that that, that is a important, um, an, an important, uh, dynamic. I think also understanding, you know, uncovering what they're trying to accomplish, all those things are, are, are really, um, are really good. I think that from a, a customer perspective, they're able to get trust. Um, but I am just seeing across um, uh, many of the accounts we're talking to you splitting that up, the results are better. And it's overall a better customer experience when you have this kind of teeing up from the, the customer success because they're helping them drive the product adoption and then the business relationship owned um, elsewhere. Got it. That was my other question is, how much of this needs to be built around the experience, the customer field, not the process that we think we should create. So, um, but you, you, you actually teed us up with your previous comment a little bit around um, just sort of going through the funnel, right. And, and having this data and all this stuff. So it's, it's interesting because I want to talk for a quick second about HubSpot and, and their new AI tool, um, which they call ChatSpot. Um, we're super excited about this. It's pretty cool because everybody's all on to the AI chat GPT. How's it going to work? How's it going to help? So I will be curious to see. Let's talk a little bit about AI in this in this world in a second. But um, you know, want to let people know that the ChatSpot's uh, powered by the OpenAI's GPT three. Um, they are big big thing that they're they're proud of, and and we think is cool is that it's an all in one power tool designed to help uh, save you time and get more done and grow your business faster. Of course, I like that concept, but I really hate the fact that it's all fucking buzzwords. So, um, you know, what does it mean? What can it really do? Uh, it can actually write blog posts for you. It can write a blog post outline for you. It can write copy, uh, can help with your landing pages and your emails. I've used several tools like this and I really like it. Um, I've had a couple of posts written by, uh, by, by some chat GPT stuff. And I don't think people know the difference. I don't know, maybe Scott would. Um, because he knows me, he knows it's not snarky or mean enough. But um, but be sure to to check it out and and check that out. And Scott, I think you said there's a there's a website where they got to go. I did. There's a website they got to go. Yeah. Head to, oh, you, here you put it in the chat. <laughs> head to HubSpot.com/slash/artificial-intelligence. Okay, HubSpot, we got to work on that. That's way too long of a of a URL. Hey, I'm just oh. letting you do your job. Head to HubSpot.com/slash artificial dash intelligence to get early yeah. access today i guess adi was already taken right dash com slash adi but um our first time doing this i wonder if we're going to get real and green HubSpot. <laughs> so probably anyway probably uh get fired already probably wouldn't be the first time <laughs> michael um uh ai like let's talk about ai a little bit like how do you see this coming in in this expansion role 
Um, is there, you know, and what Calypso is doing, is there predictability score based on this over time? Is that, I don't know, I don't know if you can talk about your roadmap or not, but I'm, I am curious to just, as you think about expansion sales, how do you see AI supporting that? Yeah. Yeah. So I think sometimes like people, well, first, I think I see people like conflate automation with AI uh, first and like simple, just like creating um, uh, conditional logic. Um, and it, it, we see that happen a lot in, in sales, especially, but I think it's really, I think there's a lot of really interesting um things uh happening in in the ai space one of my questions is kind of like how is that gonna further affect sales and um and marketing like at the at the top of the funnel particularly like if you have a bunch of i know a founder who used a tool to you know generate a bunch of blog articles for example and like, what do we think that the the consequence um, or, or what will be the new world we're selling into when when suddenly everyone is able to to do that? And I think I think the big thing that that is going to be important with the kind of the world AI creates is we're leveraging um, word of mouth relationships, um, th kind of what what's old is like new again. So it becomes even more important to sell and create relationships with your, your current customers. As far as us and how we are, are thinking about this, it's how can we help you surface and identify and surface expansion opportunities, execute upon that, and also risk within your current customers. And I think answering like those two questions in terms of like identifying and, and surfacing expansion opportunities, and then also helping um, with risk mitigation, I think is uh, going to be really, really important. So yeah, we're thinking of um, you, new ways all the time to try to tackle that because there's not a company on the planet that doesn't want to grow their install base of customers. And they often have like lots of trouble doing that. So uh, in terms of our product roadmap, yeah, we're always trying to think of new ways to um, uh, to do that. And I'm, I'm really excited um, for the potential of AI. Um, but I think also the jury is still out in terms of like seeing the revenue generating implications of some of it. How are you, how are you balancing your time changing topics altogether? But how are you balancing your time between thinking about distribution and customers and building the product and making sure it's as powerful and delivering results as, as possible. Yeah. You don't come from a product background. Nope. I come from a, <laughs> I come from a sales background. Um, I'm curious what the distribution of your time looks like. Yeah. Um, so like a striking amount of that's very similar to like sales. Um, even like, I I, def, I definitely have taken the like learn slowly approach, um, and that has I think like really benefited us. Like we're for, we're very fortunate to be in like a a good financial uh, position, so we have lots of runway, and so we're able to kind of like go slow and get it right for like our early customers. Um, I don't have a product background, but in some ways, like, I think that like benefits us because like as a salesperson, 
like in some ways, salespeople can be really difficult to sell to. And then in other ways, they're easier to sell to. Where I think salespeople are difficult to sell to is if like at a product doesn't give like immediate value and isn't like immediately easy to use and intuitive, like they're not going to adopt it. So I think in some ways that helps us with the product roadmap because it has to be like immediately like easy to use, intuitive. We understand um, how, how it's going to help us. Um, so in terms of my time, a lot of it is, is these days is spent, um, kind of thinking about like the distribution side, um, because that often informs the product development side, like if something isn't there, et cetera. And just like a very, very tight feedback loop with my technical co-founder. Um, so he, he was an engineer, a top engineer at my last company that we worked at and, um, the, the feedback loop between your co-founder has to be like extremely tight um, in order to get that that product piece um, down. But at the end of the day, like, in fact, I was just thinking about this on my walk this morning, like um, the sales part, like never really ends. And like, like even at the earliest, earliest stages of a company, like you can't ever get out of that sales mentality because it informs and speeds up your product development. I love what you just said that early, early stages, you can't get out of that sales mentality. And I think that's the hard part, I think, for technical founders, right? Because they're building a baby and they're proud and excited and it's a beautiful baby and they forget about the business side of it. And then I could see the other side too, as a, as a business person going, well, how do I sell this? How am I going to do this? How's the customer going to like it? But then I, kind of don't know how it actually gets built. And so what I think is a great idea, it's not necessarily easy to execute. So it sounds like you found a really good partner with, with your partner. Yeah. So um, I, I'm curious, you know, where are you guys in terms of, you know, what stage are y'all at? Are y'all past MVP? Are you moving? Are you in founder-led sales? Like where, where are you there? Yeah, founder-led sales all day. So okay. um we uh we we closed around a funding um at the like end of April of last year. And then it was literally the next month that we saw like VCs start to tighten up. Like that is literally when we the moment that I saw people go from, oh, we're still like investing at a high clip to like what's gonna happen. So in terms of timing, that was extreme luck. Um, and then we like hired an engineer, um, and then kept building out the roadmap. We launched in February and now we're like onboarding our first customers. Um, and it is like pure founder led sales, uh, right now. I do have a little bit of help, like kind of on the SDR front, which has been like nice. Cause it, um, is sort of, we're kind of moving out of that, like build, uh, like intense building phase and more into the sales phase. Doesn't mean that we're still not building obviously, but it's definitely been like really refreshing to get back into that, like super sales, like mindedness for, for still, me. You're still a believer in outbound sales. Yes, but it is like a lot harder. I am. Yeah. So like, I'm not I, saying I'm not, I just, am just making a point of clarification that Michael still believes in outbound sales, even though I, that it, it's, it's harder. Cause I've been hearing some people say, they don't think that that's going to work anymore. Yeah, I think like it scares me when people say that. Yeah, um, honestly, be because um, for many, many reasons. But but that's what AI is going to solve. 
They're going to throw off the whole outbound sales equation. <laughs> I don't even know where to go with this. Yeah, we're all so, dying. Anybody who doesn't have video on right now just missed Michael and I simultaneously put our <laughs> head in our palm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Uh, so I, so where I actually, where my mind went, might've went in a bit different place than probably most people anticipated, but it actually has to do with like burning cash and like a lot of founders aren't good at managing money. And it's like something we don't talk about like very often. We always talk about go to market fit and product market fit. They're all related, obviously, but like what concerns me about like this, like outbound mentality as a founder is like. We get in this mindset of like to what Richard was just talking about, like, oh, we're building, we're building, we're building. And like I even did this with a sales background. And then like at at what point are you going to start generating revenue? And then you're burning cash along the way. And oh, you justify more hires and, and things like that. And so this like the thing about outbound as a founder is it teaches you things. And so like, yeah, maybe it is a lot harder to generate um, messages from cold calls and cold emails or even cold social. But the important thing for me is it has been like teaching me things about how people are, are responding to me and my product and things like that. Meanwhile, I, I see other similarly situated founders trying to fundraise in the worst climate to be fundraising and, and they're not doing it from a position of strength. So this comment about outbound actually like signals something deeper about how to build a company at its core. And like, I, I don't know, I just, I get uh, a lot of concerns about the, the, the acquisition strategy, you know, um, because I'm not seeing like dedicate, you know, a bunch of marketing resources and paid ads and things like that, all of a sudden, like leading to revenue and conversions there. So I don't know, I still have a lot, a lot to learn myself. And I certainly do not have all the answers. Um, but I still think it is important for uh, founders at the earliest stage, stages to, you know, try and learn from outbound sales. That's awesome. That That's really cool. You You really hit on something. Scott and I are sort of putting in the chat of that nobody's really talking about teaching these founders how to manage money, right? Mm -hmm. and, um, it's a really smart topic. Uh, so it's sort of making our brain spin on some other stuff, but got to move over to the wrap. Uh, so Michael, I'll give you a second to think about a question or two for us. Um, but again, want to give a shout out to the HubSpot Podcast Network. Please check out Outbound Squad, hosted by our good friend, Jason Bay. We should probably have Jason back on too, Scott. Um, I don't even know if he's, did he ever, do we ever have him on? Maybe in season one? I don't know. I think season one. Yeah. This was years ago though. Yeah. Yeah. So 400 episodes and two old men can't remember. Yeah. So we can uh, only be asked to do so much. Right. Uh, and again, thanks to HubSpot. Please be sure to check out their AI tool and what they've got going on over at ChatSpot. And um, really appreciate them supporting uh, not just Circum Sales, but the sales community. You know, as much as it is a plug, it's, they are trying to help us. And I think that's really important. And we should acknowledge it as that uh, more than anything else. So, Michael, we will turn it to you. What question or questions do you have for us? I want to know where you all think like sales is going. So yeah, my first question about sales in general. Um, and my second question is around expansion sales, but we'll start with that one. I think that it is getting harder and harder to 
get a hold of somebody over email and phone and even um, social channels, super, super busy. So I am at the moment sort of in this camp where you're going to have to network your way in via introduction, via community, via partner selling, referral selling, co-selling, this type of thing. So if I want to sell to, well, if Richard wants to get a hold of Michael, Michael's a brand new founder, he's building Calypso, he's go to market motion, he's getting started. Richard tries emailing Michael a couple times. He cold calls him. Nothing's, you know, nothing's working. He's not getting any reaction. But he's built a strong network, Richard. And Richard goes and sees that Scott is connected with Michael over at Calypso. Richard reaches out to me and says, hey, man, I don't know how well you know Michael. Um, he just built a company. My product does this. Not sure if there's a need there, but do you think, you know, you could get on his radar? Richard and I have a good relationship. Michael and I have a good relationship. I'm like, well, okay, let me see. So I reach out to Michael and I say, hey, Michael, don't know if you have this issue right now, but my friend Richard does X, Y, Z. Are you interested in taking a meeting or a call? That type of structure and strategy, I think is fairly soon, might be your best bet in order to get a hold of, of somebody. The one part Scott left out is, well, how much are you going to pay me to do that for you, Richard? Well, sure. So, you know, the, the, a lot of times there's got to be some type of incentive happening. Um, sometimes it's just quid pro quo, quid pro quo, yeah. you know, because yep. I'm going to have an ask for you. But, yep. you know, this is where kind of referral agreements and that type of stuff come into play. Yep. Um, so I think um, a totally different direction. Um, harder yes i think hoping sales will get smarter so there's my doorbell sorry everybody um apparently my time is up here thank you um the where i see it happening is you know we, we keep talking about ai i was talking about this with someone today that uh you know it's, everybody's looking at it from the top of the funnel and i mm -hmm. think people who win the ai and sales race are going to quickly get to the middle of the funnel, quickly be able to, and I'm seeing this with a couple of tools um, and, and uh, since they're not paying us, we won't mention them yet, but that's okay. Um, where they will send me an insight on someone's personality. Like I got one on Michael for this call and said, this is what Michael's like. Here's what Scott's like. And I would love for the tech and, and then, which then it will tell you, well, here's how to approach them. We've been talking about DISC and all these personality things forever, and not one person ever taught me or anyone else that I know of how to actually use that. How do I actually really approach? So if I know at a time, if I get an email that says pre-call prep from some tool that says, Michael likes bullet points, Scott likes stories, do I adjust my demo? Do I adjust my presentation slide? So there's some bullet points on the slide for Michael to see, and I can tell a story around those bullet points for Scott. That to me is where I see that's happening. And that's where the EQ gets better in sales. And then hopefully the experience of the customer gets better. It's going to take, we finally have the technology available to do it. The implementation of that and the coaching to it is the next part, right? Like, okay, so I do get this insight and I get this email, you know, 
am I gonna, I need to role play with my team so they understand how to do it. So that's a direction of sales that I see us heading. Um, and I think that's a good part of what I'm seeing in the AI. I just haven't seen anybody do it further down the funnel. I mean, imagine if you got emails telling you about how to do a demo or, hey, you're gonna go into a call with this procurement person, or you're gonna go into a call and negotiating with a CFO and you had better insight and knew what to say and how to say it uh, delivered to your inbox. That, that to me will be game changing uh, and make help close rates in my opinion. So anyway, I'll shut up there, but that's my opinion. Do we have time for one more question? Let's do it. Sneak it in. Okay. Um, well, um, off of what both of you just said, I think like a big a big thing is moving from not to get all cosmic, but like the age of the seller to like the age of the buyer. And I think that's why we're having to like do a lot of these things. Um, but curious, like where do you all think um, where we're going and where the oper- where companies can improve when it specifically comes to expansion sales and account management? I can tackle that one. Um, I've been saying this one for a while that there's no such thing as a buyer's journey. There is no journey. There's only a buyer's experience. We create the journey. From the mo- on an inbound, from the moment someone lands on my webpage, I control that journey, not them. And if they have a bad experience through that journey, they're out. Okay? That's, we see that all the time. So I'm a big proponent of getting rid of this phrase, buyer's journey talk about the experience, which then dials very specifically into what you're talking about with the expansion sales. The expansion happens based on the experience they have, right? And that experience is based upon the journey they've taken. And if you've got a terrible onboarding experience that can't be adjusted, or if you've onboarded them, but then you've stopped talking to them until you know 90 days before the renewal, then that's a terrible experience. It's not the journey. So anyway, so that's that's where I see and, and want it to keep getting better. And I do see, you know, thank goodness to customer success and that whole new business model and that frame that it existed before, but sort of specializing, as you talked about earlier, Michael, like giving these specialty roles, the goal is to improve the experience of the buyer. Yeah. Right? That's the key piece. Um, so I'll let Scott speak. Well, one thing that I think you're going to see happen is I think you're going to see a lot of really good account executives throw in the towel on being a a seller and sign up to do expansion sales because of what we were talking about before, because it is freaking hard to get a hold of people, you know? So you're going to have these really good AEs or full cycle kind of sales reps who are like, fuck this. I'm not prospecting anymore. Mm-hmm. I can make equal or maybe more money doing expansion sales and not yep. do this part of the job. That's like, feels like I'm smashing my head against the wall all day long. I would not. So I would not be surprised to see talent start to migrate from one side to the other. Yeah. I see that all the time, like with people asking me to help them network because we talk to so many. Um, so I, and it excites me because we're, we're seeing that migration and it, it works well with, um, with things like PLG as well. Like when you offer a freemium product and that gives you a little bit of like context, um, and maybe they start small, but then where they're able to make that money is when they expand big, 
And that's the that's where I'm seeing the the a lot of AEs making going to become account managers and, and making a lot of money a, a lot of money there. And oh, by the way, it's like you said, not banging your head against the wall. So really curious to see how this unfolds, especially in the next two to three years. And um, yeah, we I will obviously be following closely, but I think you've hit the nail on the head. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Michael. We appreciate you spending some time with us. Tell everybody real quick, what's the best way to get a hold of you so they can learn more about you and Calypso? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can just uh, find me on on LinkedIn. I'm pretty responsive there. Also, just uh, love talking about um, you know business, startup, sales. Um, so more than happy to just have conversations there too, but feel free to just uh, find me on LinkedIn. All right. There you have it, Richard. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Great to catch up with you. It was a pleasure. Thank you again to HubSpot. Uh, we appreciate them and their support. And uh, Scott, um, nice to see your beard's not quite so long and you're a little more groomed today. So uh, yeah. People, yeah. go check out the YouTube channel of Surf and Sales. And finally, oh shit, we forgot to promote our own stuff, Scott. Oh yeah, Surf we do things. Sales. I forgot. Surf and Sales, November 2023. Go to surfandsales.com. Check out our micro conferences and uh, hopefully you want to be a part of it. It's a good time to get the hell out of Dodge, go someplace cool while still learning. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, Michael, good to see you, bud. Great to see you both.